Are we going to talk about all the sex that's on the album? You just, you just, what you just said right there is going to be the intro to the show. Okay, everyone, welcome to episode 37 of the Great Divide podcast. We are definitely in for an adventure today. We have no idea how this is going to work. And if the beginnings of this uh, are any omen, it might be even really interesting. But um, we're going to try something new today that we've never tried before. It's kind of a cyber roundtable, even though I'm assuming that, you know, none of us are sitting at any sort of roundtable. But this is a roundtable. A discussion about Steel Town with some of our fellow fans and listeners. So, as always, first I will introduce our illustrious co-host, Svein, from Norway. Hello, Svein. How do, how do you do, Tom? And actually, I do sit with a round table. So, uh, at least one of us, uh, this holds true. Oh, very nice. I, I am definitely at, not at a round table. Rectangular. <laughs> parallelogramish. No. But we, we are joined today by three people who have agreed to take part in this great experiment are guinea pigs for this experiment and we will go around the uh the the metaphorical room here so let's start with and i'll ask each of you guys just to give me your name even though i will say it first just let me know a little bit about yourself how long you've been a fan of big country i'm assuming we're all probably of similar ages here but we're going to start with arlen bartels yeah, hi, this is Arlen. Um, longtime fan. I started listening to them during the Skids days, actually, and um, ah. caught up with caught up with most of you guys on the uh, on the message board back in the '90s, and um, even you know have my still copies of Tom's Dissidents albums. Um, I live. <laughs> we so don't talk it, about them. Here. You're the one. You're the one. <laughs> I plan on starting a Dissidents podcast someday, but we'll um, we'll have to wait on that. I've had Red Bull for breakfast. I'm ready to go. I can't wait. So our next guest is our first um, female guest on the show, and that is Christine Wade, who I've had the pleasure of attending a big country concert with, and she almost got me thrown out of that concert. But (laughs) Christine, how are you doing? I'm good this morning. Thanks. How are you? Good morning from the Eastern Shore. Good morning. And how long have you been a big country fan? Give us like a 15 second big country biography of you. Oh, probably, you know, 32 years from the time that I first heard um, The Crossing. Wow. So so when you were born, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in utero. The day you utero. were born. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, it's great to have you here. And um, and last but not certainly not least, our representative from Scotland, Kenny Henderson. And it's great to finally talk to you, Kenny. And um, let us know a little Hello. bit about yourself. Hey, yeah, I'm Kenny from Glasgow, Scotland. Um, home of the, the famous Barrowland. Um, I, I apologise if I sound uh, a bit hoarse today. I went to see Big Country last night, so um, there was a lot, of, lot of singing and uh, a bit, still a bit tired and a bit hoarse. So I'll also try to speak slowly so you can uh, understand the accent. <laughs> we appreciate <laughs> do, that. Do, do my best. Um, yeah, I've been a, a Big Country fan since Restless Natives. Um, I was aware of the band before then, but um, wasn't really seriously uh, into the band until Restless Natives, so around 85, 86 time. Wow, fantastic. Well, thanks for introducing yourselves, guys, and um, 
it's great to have you all on here. We'll see how this goes. But I think, what we're, well, what we're here to do today, basically, is just to give our own recollections and thoughts about Steeltown in kind of a, a general free-flowing sense. Spine and I are going to come back with another episode where we do our usual dissection of the album. So that's, that's not what this show is going to be. But um, we just want to get some different thoughts from different people about what the album meant to them so i mean kenny you're the first you're the best place to start i think because it's the 30th anniversary of steel town the band Mm -hmm. as it stands today is doing their 30th anniversary of steel town tour and you just saw this last night so since three of us here are from america we we don't have the opportunity to see them very much and svein has not had the opportunity to see them much in norway so tell us about the show last night what was it like yeah, and, and not to rub it in, I also have uh, tickets for the Steel Town show in Glasgow. Ah! Uh, and also. <laughs> bastard! <laughs> and it's uh, well, well worth going to see twice, uh, definitely. It was it was a fantastic show. Um, to, to, hear the, to hear the album beginning to end, I think, was. Uh, it was the best thing to do. There was talk before the, the tour of maybe doing not all of the songs maybe leaving some out but I think doing the, the album beginning to end I, I think was a great idea they did that with the crossing of course and uh, to, just to hear it you, you know as you, as you would have listened to the old, old album even down to Bruce announcing the, the end of side one and, and telling you now to flip over to, to side <laughs> two of the album oh that's so cool so um, they, they also had some uh, cool uh, intro music so uh, and some great effects um, uh, probably made to sound like um, steelworks and there's sort of ship's horns and things like that going on so well you know uh, some of the more discerning listeners of this show on the last podcast will have noticed that intro we played it at the very end of the show with, with no um, explanation whatsoever and yeah I, I heard that and I did wonder what that was about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was shocked I even said this on the page uh, nobody said what is that thing that you played at the end of the show nobody said anything but um, Bruce Bruce actually was kind enough to send that to us and uh, he said here's the intro for your next podcast and we thought well we'll use it for uh, for the future Steel Town podcast so we, we put it at the end of that one but it was quite a quite a dramatic intro what? and obviously straight into Flame of the West so
the mood like in in this venue i mean where was it was it were there a lot of people there was it yeah, yeah we well it was very strange we were in the the motherwell concert hall um motherwell's um it's about a 20 minute drive uh, from glasgow uh, in central scotland um it was a traditionally a, a steel town um the, the the major employers there were uh, steel works and uh, mining um, of course, that's that's all gone now. So it, it was a fairly big hall. Um, it was it was a bit worrying at first because we we got in early, um, got to the front, and there, there was maybe no more than twenty people behind us. Wow! Um, and the, the, this was a fairly big standing area which stretched back most of the way, and then they had a, a seating area at the back which which was fairly full. Um, but it, it didn't fill up until you know. 
seconds before the the band came on, um, and suddenly the the hall became full. They, they must have been in, in true Scott style, all staying in the bar until the last minute. <laughs> so it, it did uh, filled up pretty well um, just before, uh, just as the band came on. Fantastic. And was there a was there a highlight for you uh, of a song that you never thought you would hear that really stood out? The the highlight for me actually was a song I had heard before. Uh, it's come back to me. Um, I'd heard that on previous tours, but mostly as a solo acoustic version that Stuart used to do. Uh, um, I, they just done a, a stunning version of it last night. Um, I wasn't expecting that at all. They had a a different intro to the song. Um, it was a, a really great to hear the full version, and they, they had the full ending from the album, which was which was even better. Any time I heard it before with Stuart, it was just as a an acoustic song ends at the, the end of the last chorus. But to hear that, you know, the, the huge outro on it was was really good. Oh, that's um, that's great that they played that. The, the other highlight for me was first song on the side to Tall Ships Go. Um, mm. Probably not my favourite song on the album it probably uh, ranks fairly low down but that was the other real highlight for me to to hear that live was was just fantastic it was a a great sound and Bruce and Jamie um, you know they they just nailed it I thought Um, the the other most of the other songs um, apart from maybe Great Divide and Rain Dance that I hadn't um, I hadn't heard live before I'd heard Rain Dance on a uh, live recording but not actually uh, seen them play it live so the great divide I enjoyed that too and uh, I've actually managed to, to get a video of that performance um, I tend not to, to video live shows I'm, I'm too busy enjoying them but um, I did uh, purposely um, record the great divide I knew that would be a popular one with your listeners <laughs> <laughs> thank you you must share you must share uh, anyone else do yeah. Yeah, anyone, anyone else want to ask Kenny a question about the show? Yeah, so Kenny, this is Arlen. I had a question for you. You know, in terms of the arrangements of how they were doing the, the guitar parts, um, how faithful were they trying to replicate the album? You know, the album sometimes had three and four layers. It seemed like maybe even more stacked on top of each other. So it seemed like some of the songs would be really hard to play live. So were they trying to be as faithful to the album as possible, or was it like a new version of the songs? Yes, some of them were uh, different versions, and I, and I think they, they have arranged them deliberately to, to suit two guitars or, or three. Um, Simon also plays, but um, he didn't really contribute much um, from the uh, guitar point of view. I think he, he tended to concentrate more on the vocals. Um, but I, th- I think they, they did a great job um, only having two guitars. They still managed to get the big sound. Um, where on the album you may have had three or four guitars, I think they they just had to to pick and choose the parts, um, and I, th- I think they did that as well. Fantastic, and and uh, yeah, go ahead, fine. Yeah, I, I was just wondering if they introduced these songs a particular way, or if they introduced them at all. So, so we're kind of used to no. listening to Steel Bat Tam- front to to end, and there's nothing there. So did they add anything to to that? Yeah, well, I've, uh, I've seen the band many times and, and what they, they tended to do was maybe come on, play two songs, maybe three songs, and, and then ha- have a chat. Um, but what they did, uh, I think, on purpose was just come on to the intro music and they played the whole of side one 
without saying anything and without much of a break between the songs, just one song into the other. And then at the end of side one, that was a, the first time that, that Bruce spoke, um, where he said, you know, good evening. Uh, he probably thought we weren't going to speak to you, but um, <laughs> I think they purposely uh, just, just did the whole of side one um, to make it sound as much like the album as possible without actually saying anything. Mm. And then the did side two again, did the five songs in a row without any, without any chat in between. All right, so they spoke when we flipped the album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. And and last one for, or at least for me, last one for you. Um, if anyone else wants to jump in with any others, feel free. But just curious what you thought of Simon's performance. I mean, obviously, he's kind of the, the new guy on the here, even though he's been with them for a little while now. But uh, what, did, what did you think of the way he performed and the way he sang the songs? I mean, did it seem like it did justice to the, to the songs? Yeah, it he did, yeah. There's a major improvement since uh, the first time I seen him with the band, and I think then he, he was maybe only even a few weeks into his time with the band. And um, I think the, the first show I seen with him, they, they opened up with River of Hope, and, uh, and he, he made a complete mess of it, to, to be <laughs> honest. It's a, it's a hard song to sing, you know, the, and, and he did get terribly mixed up with the lyrics but um, what, what an improvement last night um, you know he, he really had nailed most of the songs there was a, a bit of a, a blip during Steel Town but I, th- I think um, I, I think Derek had some problems um, and I don't know if that contributed to it but he, he sort of lost his way halfway through that song but they, they got <laughs> it back on and, and other than that you know he, he, he was great um, he, he did justice to all the songs the Steel Town ones as well as all the, the rest that he, uh, they did after the, the Steel Town set. And, and he did River of Hope, I was glad to hear, and he, and he nailed it this time. Oh, that's great. Good. And now, I'm sure CJ wants to ask if there was any pogoing going on, because <laughs> she she loves that. I do love that. Yeah, the, the, the great thing... Uh, <laughs> the, the great thing that I found with, with the show was um, the... The crowd seemed to to want to listen to Steel Town as an album beginning to end, and they more or less stayed still. There, there was a bit of pogoing going on, but not not much at all. Most people seemed to want to listen to Steel Town beginning to end, and then get into the pogoing once the once the hits started. <laughs> right. And that, that's exactly the way it went. So it meant that um, for the second half of the show, they they still had plenty of energy. So it did go a bit wild after that. Why? Well, I- um, Go ahead. I'm yeah, sorry. There, there was even a there was an incident where uh, one guy just got got too carried away. Um, I just saw this out the corner corner of my eye. He, he more or less landed on his head on the floor. <laughs> um, he heard and heard and had felt the, the crunch as he, he landed on his head, and, and he looked like he, he looked like he'd been knocked out cold. He didn't move for a for a worrying length of time, <sighs> and then a couple of people went to, to help him up but he immediately just sprang back to his feet and started pogoing again <laughs> <laughs> that's great see now cj that would have that would have been you I, I i can say that from experience because yeah i saw this the big the band at the sellersville theater with with <laughs> cj and she was so angry that nobody was moving and jumping she got me into it she got her husband into it she almost got us thrown out of the venue so that could have been you there cj 
I live on the edge, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so you wouldn't have enjoyed last night. It was uh, for the second half of the show. It was just uh, poor going beginning to end. That's so great. But I have to say, it really makes me happy that they were listening, at least to, to Steel Town, because there's always been a, a beef of mine that people come to this show, and not necessarily that pogoing is a problem, but the, the beer drinking and the rowdiness and the roar, and next day you don't remember Jackal. So this time, at least they, they bring home with them the memories of Steel Town. That, that, that yeah, makes me yeah. happy. Yeah, that, and, and, and that is an album that deserves to be listened to and kind of yeah. that, with that kind of attention, so it's, it's no surprise. But thank you. Thank you, Kenny, for sharing that experience with us. We appreciate it. We, we, we're so jealous of you, of you guys. <laughs> Always. I, it, that's, that's been the way it is, has been for me for years, just looking at you guys in the UK and thinking, man, I wish I could see them as much as you guys do. But Yeah, so if you don't mind, just two more, two more very quick questions for Kenny. So, no, go ahead, Arnold. Yeah, so one of the things about it, I, I'm glad that Simon you know, was melding in well. It always seemed like the... The vocal style of the Stewart Head on Steel Town really suited Simon's range better than almost any of the other albums, and so I'm, I'm glad to hear that went well. So one yeah. last one last one then with Derek. Derek's style of playing is very different than Tony's, and was he was he trying to play like Tony, or was he more like playing his own style, where he's a little more percussive and a little more electronic the way he plays? Yeah, I, th- I think there was, there was a bit of both. Uh, I did look out for that, and um, some some of the songs were faithful to. To Tony's sound and seemed to be exactly the way he would play them but there was points even within the same song where he would maybe revert to his own style um, but all in all it, um, it worked well. And by the way were you wearing the shoes? Yeah, I, I did not because uh, they, they would have got wrecked it was a, <laughs> yeah. a, a sea of uh, a sea of beer <laughs> so <laughs> yeah they wouldn't have lasted, I don't think. Yeah, and anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, Kenny got this cool pair of shoes with, uh, in a big on on the left shoe and country on the yeah. right shoe, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's got yeah, feet of fire. <laughs> Wait, say that again, CJ. He's got feet of fire. <laughs> uh, I think I think it's more just so you know which one to put on your left and which to put on your right. <laughs> well, it reminded me of the the dueling guitars that Stuart and Bruce had at one point. I think it was like at uh, I remember seeing it at a Hogman A show where they, they both had these yellow guitars and I think one of them had big and the other had country on it. But, it uh, did, yeah. I was, I was at that show. Oh, of course you were. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. All right, guys. So um, why don't we get into the, the more meat of the discussion here then, and that is about the album Steel Town. And, um, I mean, I think we can all safely say that for those of us here, it's a, it's a big album for us. I'm, I can't speak for you guys when I say... I know where it stands in your rankings of big country albums, but for me, it's the top. In fact, for me, it's the best album by anyone ever. It's kind of the, the esteem that I hold it in. So I want to go around and just get your, your general thoughts and recollections of when you first became aware of the album and got the album. Um, but before I do that, I just want to very quickly set the stage of what was happening at that time in some of the music charts. And I, I looked, looked up some of this stuff. So... If we go to the, the album was released on the 19th of October in 1984. And if we look at the UK charts for that week, uh, let me give the top 10 for the UK and I'll do, give the top 10 for America too. So very quickly, number one song, Freedom by Wham. <laughs> Followed by, I Just Called to Say I Love You, Stevie Wonder. War, the War Song by Culture Club. No More Lonely Nights by Paul McCartney. 
together in Electric Dreams, which I'm not familiar with, by <laughs> Giorgio Marauder. Drive by The Cars, remember that well. Shout to the Top by Style Council. Ghostbusters, Ray Parker Jr. I'm going to tear your playhouse down, Paul Young. And number 10 in the UK was Missing You. Now, in the, in the U.S., it was similar. Number one, I just called to say I love you. We had a couple other ones in there that were not in the U.K. charts, like Caribbean Queen by Billy Ocean, Lucky Star by Madonna, Prince, Let's Go Crazy, Cover Me by The Boss, Bruce Springsteen, On the Dark Side by Bruce Springsteen's clone, John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. Um, and then in the movies, if that's any, of any interest, the number one movie that, that week um, was called Teachers. I have no recollection of that movie. You know, I felt the same way. I did. I went on Wikipedia to, to do the same research, and um, I, I saw that, and I said, what on earth is Teachers? <laughs> That's what I, exactly. And I, I didn't have time to look it up more, but we have, like, Teachers was number one, Places in the Heart, Little Drummer Girl. I don't remember that. Uh, a Soldier Story, I kind of remember that. Ghostbusters. But anyway, you get the, you get the point here. So... That kind of sets the stage for what was happening at the time musically, and I, I think we would all agree that Steel Town doesn't really fit in with any of that stuff. And yet, the following week, it was a number one album in the UK. So, okay, so CJ, since since you have spoken the least so far, I'm going to start with you. Um, when do you remember getting Steel Town? When when did that album come across your consciousness, and when were you, when did you first become aware of it? Um, I guess um, I picked up Steel Town in the fall probably in the late fall of 84, I had seen Big Country play in Atlanta um, in March of 84 on the Crossing Tour. Wow, and wow. so I had been anticipating um, the release of Steel Town. And, and like you, it's not just my favorite Big Country album, but it's my favorite album of all time. That's fantastic. And did it, did it hit you that way from the first time you listened? Or was it something that, that you eventually decided that it was your favorite album? I mean, what was your reaction when you first heard it? No, it was instantaneous. And it, what really struck me was that how different I thought it was from The Crossing. And, um, y you know, you don't you don't always get that new something new and distinctive with a sophomore release. But I remember thinking that as much as I had loved The Crossing, that Steel Town was so much more powerful to me. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay, and Arlen, what about you? What what were your uh, when did you first become aware of this album? When did you first get it? Yeah, you know, so I knew it was uh, I I was actually working part time in a used record store at the time. I was just starting college, and so I'd seen all the posters, and I'd been intrigued from the, by the artwork, and so I knew it was coming out, and I was really anticipating it because as much as I love the Crossing, the Crossing is my favorite album of '83. It was really Wonderland that really cemented Big Country for me as my favorite band. Oh wow! And so, and so I was really anticipating the album. So this was the first album that I actually ever went to the record store at 10 a.m. on the day of release to make sure that I had it in my hands the first time I possibly could. <laughs> and um, I decided for some reason I wanted to listen to it in the outdoors because it seemed like very much outdoors music. So I was living in, in going to school at the University of Colorado, but I lived up in the mountains um, from there and commuted down. So I decided to drive up into the mountains and put the top down in my car. I, I had an MG midget, if you can believe it, back then. That was the <laughs> car I commuted in. And so I decided that I was going to blare the music, you know, in the in the in the Rockies, and um, 
from the very first notes of Flame of the West, I was just, uh, I was obsessed. I'd never heard anything like that. It was so amazing. I had to pull the car over to the side of the road and just, <laughs> and just, I just sat there on the side of the road around the Rockies and listened to the first four songs straight through kind of, it was cold. So I had the heater on and I was just shivering with the, you know, in, in this convertible, but I had never heard anything like that. It was like a giant T-Rex of, a, of an album, you know, just the, <laughs> the way the, the, it was just that swaggering, strong, furious style of music. And but it was beautiful at the same time, and it was you know what I started calling that chimes and chainsaws mix of the of the twin guitar sound, and you know the the themes you were going through you know what else was on the charts at the time, and in the UK you know that was the big year of of Duran Duran and Frankie and Wham and Culture Club, and you know by comparison to those songs which seemed so lightweight and inconsequential, this music seemed like it was about something. It was um, the lyrics were wise beyond the years of a guy that young, and so I, I just I sat there for the first four songs just staring at the speakers wondering what was that sound coming out of there and um, I, I put this on that speak pipe thing I sent to you guys you know I was actually doing a little garage band at the time and um, after hearing that sound coming out of the speakers I just realized well there's no point of even trying to do this there was there's there's there was no need I mean I wasn't resentful it was like I don't need to try to make music because the music I wanted to make was already being made so that that's cemented at that point that album is being just like you guys not only my favorite big country album but just my favorite album wow what an incredible story that is, that's amazing to, to think of you <laughs> listening to that in the rockies and with that perfect landscape for the music that's incredible so Svine, what about you i think you might have shared this before but i don't know but what when did you first become aware of this album i don't think i shared it but uh, it's it's, it's going to be hard to top arlen's story that, that that's just incredible <laughs> But uh, the big country albums, at least the first two, kind of crept up on me. So I was not really much aware of the band. And I certainly didn't know it was coming and even how old it was when I first saw it in one of the local stores. So um, I started with The Crossing. And I bought it because it was on the cheap. Because I was young, I was on a budget. But I really liked it. So I'm glad it was on the cheap that day. Because who knows if I would have picked up on it later. It's hard to know how these things work out. But, uh, you know, obviously I loved The Crossing. And I was aware that Steel Town was in the shops. And I vividly remember the very first time I heard Steel Town. Because I went into the shop, picked up the vinyl, went over to the counter and said, I want to listen to this. Because back then you had listening stations, quote unquote, for the young people. So you actually went to the store to listen to an album. I remember those. Yeah, it's a distant memory now. It, 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 it reveals our age. But uh, he put it on and obviously Flame on the West. Pow! And I was just standing there, and it was just incredible, the power and the energy. And it's kind of like the, the crossing had the power, but this was a kick in the face. And musically just coming out with that bass riff and those thunderous guitars. Uh, and that just hit me. And halfway through the song, he turned it off and said, right, it's closing time. Off you go. Bye. <laughs> so, <laughs> what? <laughs> I heard half of half the song. And he, I mean, why not just tell me straight up? You know, he took the bother to put it on for the sake of two minutes before closing time. <laughs> so, so that was my first memory of Steel Town. Like all weekend, I was just thinking, I have to go back and, and listen to this music. I have to get this music. So that was my first exposure to Steel Town. That was half the song Flame of the West. So I picked it up not too long after and uh, the album was great but uh, the albums kind of tend to cement themselves over time and this was an album that as much as I played it I didn't wear it out and I kept playing it 
and it just seeped its way into the the core of my being. So I I can't say which album ranks the absolute highest for me, but it's right up there, and certainly my favorite big country album. Fantastic. And what about you, Kenny? I know you said that you became a fan around the time of Restless Natives, so I'm assuming you you went back a little bit when you first discovered Steel Town. Yeah, that's right. Um, that, that was that was good in a way um, because everybody has it when you you have your favourite band. Everybody has a long wait for the new album to come out. So when I first started uh, seriously listening to the band, uh, I was able to to go back and, and get all these albums at once. Um, so listening to, to Steel Town, um, I, I think was great for me because I I love the the harsh sound of it. Um, at the time, you're very young and you only wanted to listen to music that was extreme in some way. So, I think the the harsh sound on that was good for me. Um, I, I actually heard a few of the songs um, on a, a concert cassette um, after I had uh, heard Restless Natives and loved the music. I was aware of the crossing, but not really. Uh, serious listener, I've got this uh, concert cassette and it had uh, East of Eden, Where the Roses so on, um, Just a Shadow so I'd heard a few of the songs already in uh, live recordings um, but they, they, they sounded when I, when I put the album on you know, they, they were completely different, it was a much uh, much bigger sound Yeah. Um, I think that's what attracted me to the album right away is it was just full on, beginning to end um, even the, the so-called uh, slower songs or more subdued songs um, still, you know, had the full-on sound and, and that's what I loved about it. And also, at the time, um, it was really for the first time becoming sort of politically aware and uh, it, was, it was a great album for that, you know, the, the lyrics on it. Um, I, I know that um, they, they didn't want necessarily to be a political band and... You know, I, I don't like getting into political discussions myself, um, but it, it was a, a political album, no doubt about it. Yeah. The, the lyrics really, really made it for me. I find it uh, difficult to choose a favourite big country album, um, and I wouldn't necessarily say Steel Town was my favourite, but definitely, uh, ly- lyrically, it's definitely my favourite big country album. I, I don't think the the lyrics on that have ever been bettered uh, by Big Country or, or any other band. Uh, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you on that. And um, I, I I did share this story once before on an early podcast. So I'll try to be brief. But, um, yeah, my, my uh, experience with Steel Town was kind of similar to Svine's in that it, it grew on me slowly. Well, not too slowly, but it wasn't something that I was kind of like Arlen waiting for it to come out or CJ even. I It's well known that like Svein, I was big into metal, heavy metal, Judas Priest, Kiss, all these bands back in that time. And there were two songs that really pulled me away from that. And the first was 11 O'Clock TikTok, which you will appreciate, Arlen. Absolutely. First heard that on the radio. I'd never heard anything like that. And I thought, what is this? And I would listen to the station waiting for that song to be played again, because the first time I heard it, they didn't, they didn't say who it was. Uh, the other song was Where the Rose is Sown. Now, I had heard Big Country before. I had heard um, In a Big Country and Fields of Fire, which I like quite a bit. But I hadn't yet totally, you know, really embraced it fully. I, was, my, I don't think my musical tastes were developed quite yet enough. But there was something about Where the Rose is Sown as well that had a similar experience to me as 11 O'Clock TikTok. 
So I remember going out to the mall. I was really, really incredibly shy back then. And I went out to the mall, and they had all these cassettes in locked cases. So you had, you had to go up to the salesperson and ask them to unlock the case for whatever cassette you wanted. And for some reason, I was too shy to do this. I went out to the mall, and I wanted to get a Kiss album called Music from the Elder <laughs> and Steel Town. That was my goal. So I, I looked all around, I found them in the case, and then I was like too embarrassed to go up to this girl and ask her to open up the case. And I walked around for like 15 minutes or so trying to work up the courage to do that, if you can believe it. And she finally came up to me and said, do you want something from the case? And then I said, oh yes, I would actually like these. So anyway, I got Steel Town, I got uh, the Kiss album, and I ended up listening to Steel Town. And um, yeah, like you guys, I, I was just amazed by the music. It was like a, it was like entering a different world. It, I've often called it like otherworldly music, and that's still how I look at it. But the funny thing is, is that U2 was still the band for me at that time because I had, I had found the U2 album. I had gotten big into them, and the Unforgettable Fire had just came out. So I remember distinctly. This is kind of funny now, but I remember having a magazine at the time that reviewed both the Unforgettable Fire and Steel Town, and it was in the same review, and it was kind of comparing the two albums. And they were saying that Steel Town was the better album. And I remember reading that, and I was such a huge U2 fan at the time, and Big Country was kind of more creeping up into my into my consciousness. And I remember really being upset about that, like, no, it's not a better album. It's really good, but it's not better than The Unforgettable Fire. You know, this is wrong. And then, you know, I still love Unforgettable Fire, but the album has far surpassed that for me and, and just about everything else. So... Yeah, you know, you do mention something interesting, though. Those albums came out it's at pretty close to each other, and they were being always compared against each other, it seems like. Yeah. And, and a lot of the reviews were always putting the two of them together as well, which I didn't think really was fair to either of those two bands. But even going back and looking at some of the old Country Club um, editions, you know, the Johns put on his BigCountryInfo.com site, which was great. Um, they were even being linked together there. You know, and one of the interesting things I'm thinking is when I was going online trying to find reviews, still from 1984 because there are a lot of interviews now about the reissues and the the reviews about the reissues have all been really pretty positive but yeah. my memory my memory was at the time the reviews of steel town were not really that good they that's pretty- my memory as well arlen yeah, you know, they were always, because it was being compared back to The Crossing, and I remember a lot of things about, you know, where's the melodies, it's too dense, it's too dark, it's it's not, there are no singles, you know, I remember it being fairly coarse and harsh against it, so it seems like the, the reviewers are more kind now looking back than the reviewers were at the time. Yeah, I remember a Star Hits review of Steel Town that said that Stuart Adamson's voice was a one-man band ad for chloroseptic. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I was so like you. I was I was I was so angry and outraged by it. But but I don't remember the reviews being as positive at the time. Yeah, I, I think you guys are right about that because I I really do think and and we'll talk about this. I think it was such a dense, difficult album to immediately embrace. Certainly, when you think about it in relation to the pop charts, both in the UK and the United States, it was not an easily accessible album. And I think a lot of people just didn't want to invest the time and energy if it didn't grab them immediately to to do that. And I, I want to jump on something Kenny said, too, because about the lyrics, which I, I'm interested in your guys' opinions on, um, because 
as we know now, so many of the lyrics did reflect back on what was happening in Scotland at the time, in the UK with the things happening with the mining industry and, and Thatcher and all of this. Now, when I first heard the album, I had no concept of what was happening there. I, I did not know anything about any of these topics. And yet there still was something that universally appealed to me about these lyrics. And I completely agree with you, Kenny, that they are the best lyrics that Stuart Adamson has ever written, in, in my opinion. And when I met him in Nashville, I was so happy I was able to tell him that my favorite line that he ever wrote was from The Great Divide. Suddenly I find the truth and all it is is size and youth. And I was, I was able to tell him that and he kind of looked very wistfully and he thought like he hadn't thought of those lyrics in a long time. And, and he thought, yeah, those are really good, aren't they? <laughs> kind, <laughs> kind of reminded me of the I'm fucking great story from the, from the seared things. But, um, so that was great. So I'm curious what you guys think. I mean, how did, how did those as younger people, you know, I know we were all, you know, similar ages, but as younger people who listen to those lyrics, who may not have been aware of the things that inspired them. What did you guys think of them and how did they, how did they affect you? Well, I was politically inclined from a very young age. Um, I, there's an essay actually that's framed and in, in my office down at the school um, called Reaganomics mm. that, that I wrote as a fifth grader. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I won the Creative Writing Award that month and um, it, it set me on a path, I think. Um, and I, I keep it because it's, uh, as you can imagine, you know, what a fifth grader writes about Reaganomics. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, the lyrics really spoke to me at the time. And, it, you know, this wasn't just something that was happening in the UK. It was happening here in the United States as well. Um, and if you go through the steel belt, you know, I mean, the, the same, we have concurrent phenomenon happening, but it happened, Steeltown appeared for me at a time in my life when my political consciousness as a quite young person actually was very high and it somehow solidified all of the things that I was thinking. And I remember wondering like, how could somebody get in my head the way that Stewart's lyrics had gotten <laughs> into my head and so exemplified the things that I believed and still believe to this day. And it's why I do what I do. That's great. Can I just say, it's, it's, it's amazing to hear someone else say that because I've, I've always had that same thought about Steeltown as that how could someone uh, get into my head that way? That's uh, it's always amazed me. That's great. Yeah. And, and, I'm glad it's not just me. Yeah, and Kenny, I mean, if you could elaborate a little bit about about it from your perspective in the UK. I mean, did did a lot of these lyrics resonate with you beyond just kind of a, a you know, abstract way? I mean, were you able to, yeah. to understand exactly what Stuart was talking about? And Yeah, because I, at the time, I was still young at the time, I was still in school, um, and uh, but, but I was seeing a lot of what was going around, uh, what was going on around me, you know, the, like the, the minors, uh, minor strike. The, uh, we'd, we'd had, um, you know, the decline of the steel in the industry for a long time. Um, there, there was a lot of a lot of unrest at the time, and, and people, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of frustration about at the time. Um, you know, across the board, across all uh, all walks of life. You know, it just seemed to me. Um, I, I was shielded from it a bit at, at the time, but it seemed to me that, that the country just wasn't it wasn't happy at the time. It just wasn't a happy place. There was a, always a uh, 
always a threat from from some angle. Um, so so to me, you know, that, that was all encompassed in in the album. You know, so I, I could identify with everything that was being said there. There was just a, a great sense of uh, injustice. Um, seemed to be the the main feeling in the in the country at the time was just injustice, and and I think that's what came out in the album for me. Um, all these injustices and you know, this sort of thought that is there anything you could do about it? But you know, you need to still have hope, and that was very much a feeling that I had at the time, and I think it was a a feeling of of the you know people around me, families and neighbours and whatever around me. Um, that seemed to be the feeling. Wow. Yeah, you know, boy, that's really well said, Kenny. And for my for my situation, you know, this was just after the '82 recession we'd had, and so there was a lot of unemployment in my area as well. And one of the things that hit me, this, it, it, I was really a serious political kid, but I'd never really given much time to thinking about how the rest of the world viewed America. I was really more interested in how we viewed the rest of the world. And so to hear in Flame of the West, someone else saying the things about. Um, Western politicians who were B-movie actors who had become president, it was really opened my eyes that the, how the rest of the world didn't just see us as the people in, in white hats. And so that was that was interesting to see. You know, the, the music overpowered me so much at the start that it took me a while to actually start to look in at the lyrics. But the more I looked at the lyrics, so at the start I was just listening more for the themes of the songs. But as I started to go through the lyrics, you know, one by one and really learn them, um, just like, just like um, Christine and Kenny, I was just really amazed that someone was able to so eloquently give voice to the thoughts that I'd been thinking but didn't know how to express you know and there there really are some amazing lyrics on this you know the one that hit me was on East of Eden you know the uh, um, the, the some days will stay a thousand years some pass like the flash of a spark who knows where all our days go and I at the time I thought I thought I knew what that meant but it's only taken the next 30 years to really understand the depth of what that means. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I cannot believe a guy that young wrote those lyrics. I was going to yeah. say he was, what, 24 when he wrote the, yeah. that album? It's incredible. It is. Inc- I was thinking about that on my run yesterday. I just I was thinking about what I was writing when I was 24, <laughs> um, which was not half as good. Um, but I mean, it's it's amazing poetry. And I do think that um, it's his best lyric writing of, of all of the albums. I, I kind of hesitate to follow all these uh, the statements made by other people here because I wish I could say I was incredibly preoccupied by politics. That That is probably as far from the truth as you can get. And I guess that might have something to do with um, as a 13-year-old living in Norway. I think Scandinavia in general and perhaps Norway specifically has always had great stability financially economically socially we didn't have the great upheaval we didn't have the same situations that other territories saw so i think i didn't have that kind of the hooks to hang the songs on if that makes sense so for me it was always more about you know primarily the music uh, not just because you know uh, while i spoke english i wasn't that exposed to it i didn't sat and read it and grasp everything on that level it was more how it came together, how it sounded, how it hit me. So definitely a large part of music, but also things would leap out. So instead of sitting down and taking in the entire lyric, you would get the the odd bits. And it might not be the the evident bit, like uh, Arlen's example that I think everybody will quote from East of Eden. It would be like little glimpses, and I kind of hesitate to to bring out any of them because it's kind of ridiculous. But it's, uh, it's something that grows on you, and I think now... 
looking back, it's kind of funny because if you go even further back than Steel Town, like some of the early albums I listened to, take a Kiss album, anything, I didn't speak English at the time. So I would sing the song phonetically. And it's kind of interesting how listening back to it now, in my mind, I still hear it phonetically as I heard it as a nine, ten-year-old. And I kind of have to go, right, but this is actually what they're singing. And I have to do that little flick in my brain to, to get the words. And it's kind of that way with Steel Town, that it never was the lyrics to begin with. The lyrics kind of emerged, and I have to look at it with kind of an adult eye and not my sort of teen eyes so i don't know if that makes sense but it's um it's definitely an album that's about something very deep a, a huge depth and i saw it more as a personal thing uh, certainly songs like come back to me are extremely personal but it comes out of the bigger themes started in when the roses zone which i also always saw as kind of a personal you send some guy out there and it's uh you have the big theme so far but you also have it on the personal level and i saw that again so i picked up on the personal aspect including the title track steel town where these people come somewhere and they end up in a sort of dead end street situation so i i did pick up on that but i guess i kind of made my own associations based on where i grew up yeah, it's 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 kind of similar to me. I mean, I was also coming into my teens around that time. So I was from a, a family who was politically aware and I was aware of some of the political references there. But I think that speaks to just the brilliance of the album in that you can look at it from its surface, um, you know, commentary on politics and what's happening. But for me, I kind of ingested these things as a young person who was going through a variety of things with my own family life at the time who was someone who kind of was introverted and who saw things differently or at least felt that I saw things differently than a lot of my peers. And I gravitated toward these lyrics, even though at times I didn't necessarily know exactly what he was meaning. And to this day, some of the lyrics escaped me. But there was just something about them that just connected completely with that person that I was becoming and, you know, someone who was just uh, trying to figure out who they were, who was aware of the, who was starting to become aware of the things like the pain in the world and the the difficulties that other people face, the, the difficulties that I myself was facing coming from a, a kind of an idyllic childhood into the more difficult times of adolescence and other things that were happening. So I just think that's what's so brilliant about the album. And it, and it still speaks to me even today, so many years later, with the situations that I see and deal with as I continue to grow as a person, um, the, the, the lyrics are still completely relevant. So I, th I think that's the great thing about this album is that you can view these lyrics from so many different angles and, and they're still just as powerful and potent from any angle that you look at them. You know, sometimes finding out what the songs are about actually takes away from the way you originally interpret the lyrics. Like when I finally read the, what the Great Divide was about, um, you know, about labor struggles between union and management. Yeah. So I, I hadn't picked that up at all by reading the lyrics. And I so still it, can't, I still don't get that from that song, except for maybe, you know, some of the lines like Foreman's Kiss and those types of things. But yeah. I, I still find that to be the most, one of the most dense mm. songs lyrically that he's ever written. And and then there are other times when you're looking through some of the lyrics because you can tend to sometimes look at them too deep. And there's a part on Tall Ships Go that I, 30 years, I still don't get it. It's the, I hear your voice and it keeps me from sleeping. Why must it always be dreams when your voice comes to me? Well, wait a minute. Is he sleeping or dreaming? If he can't, 
if if the voice is keeping him <laughs> from sleeping, then how is he dreaming to have the voice come to him? You know, it's it's so some of the lyrics may not bear good point the deepest in introspection. Good point. I, I just uh, I never thought of it, about that before, but that makes sense. <laughs> Arlen just ruined that line for me. <laughs> I know. I think he did. Damn it, Ar- Arlen. I'm glad to have pulled the rest of you down with me. <laughs> but you're right. Okay, can I ruin it a bit further by saying it's depressing that 30 years on, nothing has changed and all of these songs are still relevant. Yeah, exactly. I know. That's I, a really good point. It sure yeah. is. It sure is. And you're right. It's like this is like the heart of the heart of man doesn't seem to change no matter what happens and that's kind of what these songs speak to really if you take it out of the take out the political equation it just kind of boils down to the the nature of man and um without getting too insanely cryptic here but uh, <laughs> that's how it's, it's always struck Hobbesian. me that's very hobbesian of you though how so well, I mean, the assumption that, that the heart of man is not good at, at nature, right? I mean, that's yeah, very yeah. obvious, right? That, this, that the man's state of nature is war and discord and all of these ugly things. Yeah, exactly. So I think we've learned something about you, Tom. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, let's, let's take a step from the lyrics for a second and talk about the music, because one of the things this album is constantly... Uh, both lauded for and criticized for is the is the music and not not really the music but the way it was produced i mean we know that it's just an incredibly dense album production wise and what i think Svein and i would both um uh attest to is that we found it interesting and probably some of you listeners too we found it interesting in talking with the band over the years that we've been doing the show and uh and even comments from steve lillywhite and and things like that is that in in a way they don't share our feelings of this album. I, I mean, like for me, this album was always a guitar symphony. I've always called it a guitar symphony with so many different interweaving guitar parts that I just find to work so well. And it was kind of a, kind of like what Arlen just said about Tall Ships Go's, the Tall Ships Go lyric. It was kind of a little slap in the face to talk to the, the guys who actually made this and, and hear them say well you know we didn't really know what we were doing we just throwing stuff together (laughs) seeing if it worked and we were bored where we were recording and we were just coming up with lots of different lines and and even steve lillywhite in the liner notes of the new deluxe edition he says um you know i was telling the guys like where are the guitar riffs in this album i don't i don't see the guitar riffs like the the gigantic riffs that really stand out instead there were just all these little parts that just kind of formed this huge oral tapestry that just bashed you in the in the face <laughs> song after song after song and i think that kind of speaks a lot to why this album may not have been so embraced by the public at large but to me it's it's just whether it was intentional whether it was a happy accident it works for me completely and i think it's still one of the most brilliant things i've ever heard so i'm curious what you guys think of the production i mean is it too muddy for you is it is it something that you wish had been cleaned up a little bit? Do you like it exactly the way it is? I mean, what do you think? You know, it's funny because I have always said that what I, one of the things that I like about the production value of it is the muddiness of it. Mm. And I think that that's because I was listening to punk and post-punk at the time. And so I love this sort of, you know, muddiness, the overdubs, the sort of chaotic nature of the production yeah. um, really appealed to me. And and when I and when it's melded with these 
you know, lyrics that are full of lament, it made it more powerful to me. Um, and I don't, I, I don't want to get too far, but, but then when I listened to the new deluxe edition, I was um, thinking the same thing, so feel free to go ahead. Well, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but I, you know, and maybe now I listen to them as two different album experiences. But at the time, the production quality, which I know some people didn't appreciate, was one of the things that actually appealed to me. Fantastic. And it's great that you mentioned mm -hmm. punk because I, just really quick aside here, I, when I when I heard the deluxe edition and some of those rough mixes of of some of the songs, that was really the first time that I thought to question. You know, maybe this could have been even better in some respects um, with some different things. And that's not even that's not to take anything away, but there's something about the rawness of some of those rough mixes that there's like less reverb. Everything is even more in your face, and it has kind of that punk feel to it in a, in a sense. I mean, the the rough version, the rough mix of where the rose is sown, really connected with me as something that the skids could have done but with better musicians you know with tony and mark it's it's really just quite an amazing piece of music that's that's the one that really stood out to me but anyway mixes i feel the same way you know it's almost hard to imagine what steel town would sound like if it if they'd taken off some of the overdubs and had separated it out more that was one of the reasons i was wondering how, what kenny was thinking of how it sounded live to me the production values is is sort of what really sells this album i wouldn't want to hear an entire career like this but i think it fits the mood of the music very well and the lyrics at all comes together really well yeah um you know the it, it we're hearing the rough mixes it almost makes me wonder if we need to start a, another petition campaign to see if there's another whole album of those rough mixes yeah yeah because where the roses sown is you know your your, your what five word review was exactly right uh, <laughs> yeah it was three actually holy three. holy mother or mother of god <laughs> I mean, it is absolutely fantastic and then that made me go back and listen for it in those parts in the original um but it, it'd be It'd be an interesting experiment to hear what these would sound like stripped down a little bit more or even acoustic. But to me, this is really the, the it's the production values are part of this experience of this. And to, to me, a matter of fact, the version that I burned for myself of this album, I mean, I even take off, um, you know, a Girl Green Eyes and, and um, come back to me and I just go full out and add in Belief in the Small Man and uh, Prairie Rose <laughs> and just make, I think, you know, those two, the two ballads were put in there, I think, as much as anything to sort of break up the heaviness of that whole album experience, because it's hard work to listen to this album from start to finish. Yeah. Um, but I think it's worth it. And I think the example that we could have is the one song that really popped out to me in the reissues again was Winter Sky and how Winter Sky sounded so different production-wise from everything else. Mm -hmm. It really sounds more like it belongs on the Seer or Peace in Our Time. And frankly, Winter Sky probably would have had the best chance of being a pop single if it had been released separate from the album. But if you put that on the album, it would just sound totally wrong because it sounds so different with how clean and how separated things are and how simple the drumming is. Yeah, it's but, too light. Yeah, exactly. And so it wouldn't make any sense in the, in the context of the album, but it's a great sounding song. A very peppy song about nuclear winter. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. Kenny, what are what are your thoughts on the production of this album? Was it something that you liked from the beginning? Is it something? Yeah, that... 
I, I like it the way it is. Um, as I mentioned before, it's it does sound harsh, but that's that's what drew me to it. Mm. Um, and actually, the, the the rough mixes um, are more stripped down, and and I don't like them nearly as much as the uh, the, the final album. Most mostly when any uh, when any demos or outtakes or whatever are released as part of a, a rarities album or, or whatever. I, I really uh, love the the demo versions, and sometimes I, I prefer them to the final versions. But this is the the first time where I've, I've much preferred all of the final versions to, to any uh, rough uh, demo versions. Wow! I just uh, they didn't they didn't do anything for me with those uh, rough mixes. I will say the work in progress versions of Wonderland are interesting too yeah. to watch how that progressed. One of the, the interesting thing is I didn't really really listen too much for that Wonder Great version that you guys pulled the you know the original theme uh, theme song for. Yeah. But the opening of it it sounds almost like it started from all of us or something. It's almost very, it sounds like it's very almost pre-crossing even. And so that makes me wonder if Great Divide was one of the first songs they wrote for this songwriting exercise for the album. You know, it's a, it's almost more interesting to hear those work in progress versions than the rough mixes to see how they de- how how a song develops. It really is. And it's funny with that, with that Wonder Great song, um, which is not the official title. That's just, that was the title that I, saw on a bootleg of it when I grabbed it, but I knew that something was up when I got a copyright infringement notice on a video that I put on YouTube that used that song. <laughs> and it was funny because for my other, for my full-time job, I do uh, video editing and there's this event that we go to every year. It's a conference and it's for kids that we work with. And there may be 10,000 people in this arena that at the, uh, at the end of this conference. And what I do is I show like a wrap up video of what happened during this conference week. And I always set it to music. Well, I like to pick the music that I want to hear pump through the speakers of a giant arena for my own purposes. <laughs> so one day I, I thought, you know what? I would love to hear this song, Wonder Great, played, through a, played in a giant arena with 10,000 people in it and just sit back and enjoy it because it deserved to be played in an arena like that. So I did that for the video. The video eventually ended up on YouTube. I thought, you know, this is the most obscure big country B-side ever. No one's ever gonna recognize it as big country. And sure enough, like a, a year later, I get a copyright infringement notice for using this track on the video. I had to go to YouTube copyright school. I had to watch this, I had to watch this ridiculous YouTube video about copyright infringement. And you had to like multiple choice questions where you had to say, it's still okay to use a song if you don't own it, as long as it's not for sale. True or false? <laughs> they wouldn't let me back into the account until I went through this ridiculous thing. So, um, yeah, so then I knew something was up with this song that it was going to be released somewhere, and they somehow found it. And I, I do blame John Gouveia for <laughs> ratting me out. You should. He's a narc. Narc that he is. Narc. Uh, yeah, this, this is actually where I do actually do chime in with some useful information. What? John Gouveia has been here all along? Yes, I have. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. For God's sake. He's everywhere. <laughs> the song actually was called Wonder Great when Bruce posted it on his website back in 2001. Ah, okay. All right. That is actually a very useful bit of information. Thank you. So it wasn't official yeah, so title. We didn't expect that. Yeah, so, uh... For me, the rough mixes are... I, I don't... I, I'm kind of straddling the fence there because I wouldn't want to change the album because I also love the production of the album, but there is something about those mixes that stripped of the reverb 
heavy vocals especially that's like one of the main points because Stewart's vocals are so reverb heavy on the album and I it, it was kind of a real epiphany for me to hear like the rough mix of come back to me especially with a really raw recording of Stewart's voice with no reverb no backing vocals on that track and it's just something about it that just made that song even more powerful to me I mean that's one of the songs that I've really I love the song but I it's kind of one of those that I've heard so many times that I tend to skip it at times but it's almost taken on a new life for me with that rough mix with both the way the the vocal was portrayed in that song and the bringing up the floor toms I, I didn't even think the floor toms were in the original album I had to go back and listen to it and I could hear them but they were so low but now on this rough mix we've got like it's almost like a Larry Mullen Jr. type of floor tom thing going on in that song which is really cool and really different so no. Yeah, you bring up some uh, interesting, think, some, some of the little spikes that you hear at, at spots in the rough mixes. When you go back and listen to the originals, you actually do hear them. It's just buried down so deep you didn't really notice them so much the first time. Exactly. Um, and in some in some cases, it, it really does make it more interesting how it sort of pops out. But in, in sometimes it sort of works against it a little bit, too, like in Where the Rose is Sown, where in the original, the reverb sort of masks the multiple Stewart singing voice. You know, when he's singing lyrics like, we are, it's, you know, it's it. It actually was, it was interesting originally when there was a chorus of Stewart singing We Are, it almost sounded more impressive than when he's singing solo saying We Are. Uh, makes sense. I, I got you. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the rough cuts are gems and I really appreciate them for what they are. And including Come Back to Me, Tom, I feel the same way as you. I mean, the thing that stood out to me about that rough cut was just the sheer anguish Right. Yeah. And Stuart's lyrics, which was so heightened and perfect for that song in the rough mix. And but, but like Arlen, I go back and I listen for those things now in the original version. But I think this is why I like to think of them as two separate, um, you know, sort of listening experiences. Yeah. I wouldn't change anything about the original. Um, but I really, you know, I appreciate um, the remaster and, of course, these rough cuts. Well, you know, we we were kind of talking about this on an earlier podcast, Fine and I, back when Mike was still in the band, because at the show in Leesburg, um, I was talking to Mike, and he was really excited about the possibility of remixing Steel Town completely. And they were going to get the woman whose name escapes me at the moment, who uh, produced or engineered Andrea Wright. Andrea Wright. Thank you, Andrea Wright. Um, they were going to get her to, to helm the project, and, you know, Mike is known for his huge grandiose ideas and many of which he carries through on and um so i had every reason to believe that he was totally serious about this and and like and like you guys and Svan and i had the discussion too we were we were ex both excited and nervous because we love the way the album is but we were also very interested to hear what someone might do if they went in there and stripped everything down and took it you know completely re remixed it from start to finish but what a monumental task I can imagine that would be and anyway long story short as we all know that never happened apparently the the record company decided it wasn't worth the the investment to do that um so but it's still, it still it still would have been interesting and hearing some of the rough mixes makes me think it might have been even more so that it would have been interesting to hear a different approach with some of these songs but we've got the steel town we know and love and nothing is going to touch that and uh I think as long as they have these rough mixes, they wouldn't have needed to do much more. If, if they yeah. had them for the 10 songs, then you have 
a different album, a more naked album. And I've always uh, likened these rough mixes to the same thing that happened with uh, the Beatles, Let It Be Naked, where you strip it down a bit more. The arrangements are more basic. You don't have as many overdubs. You don't have the reverb. It is more naked. And uh, it's never more evident than in Come Back To Me, which I think everybody's called out so far. And uh, for good reason, because Stuart sounds really alone in the arrangement he's not covered up by all sorts of things so it comes across that much clearer so of course it, it hits you that much more the day they had a party right out in the street flags and flowers and singing for the homecome hero's tree I sat in the kitchen without I think the biggest gift of all these rough mixes is the fact that you can now listen to the song with new ears, new eyes. Mm. Because uh, I, I'm very guilty to over the years. We live with this album for 30 years. Of course, you lose something over the years. You you stop listening to it with the same openness that you did to begin with, and you take it for granted. There's mileage to the songs, and even though I, I love them as much as I ever did, getting these rough mixes or demo versions in other cases allows you that slightly different look even though it's it's basically the same songs it's not different parts they play but it's enough there's enough difference there that you can listen to it as if or as close as possible to listening to it for the first time and i think that is a fantastic gift and that is my big takeaway and it has nothing to do with preferring the these mixes over the album versions which i i don't think i would give up the album after having lived with it for 30 years but you you get that freshness and that is worth its weight in gold and i i i can only wonder how many of the remaining songs exist in this form yeah you know so and i'm re i really agree with you this when you have an album for 30 years after a while it sort of becomes background music in a way you put it on to suit a mood more than you really listen to it but going back and mm -hmm. hearing these rough mixes made me want to go back and 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 think more about the songs and read about them so going back into country club then um i saw an interview that stewart had done uh, about steel town and he said there that come back to me was from a mother's point of view which totally blew my mind because i don't understand now the whole i have your child inside me line so does anyone actually know? Is Stop it ruining to... songs for us, Arlen. <laughs> Arlen so, Stop but, it. But So does anyone know? But we knew that. Is it really supposed to be a mother's perspective? Or is, I thought it was supposed to be his lover's or his wife's perspective. Well, yeah, I think it is. I'm, yeah. yeah I'm, it well, is. I, I think it is the mother, but the mother is also. The mother of the child. The mother of the child, yes. But well, they soon to be child. But I, but I see your confusion there. But I, I, I think mm. he probably was slipped and, and meant that, was thinking about the fact that she was the mother or that she was the mother of the baby that her husband, her dead husband, had fathered. Ah, uh, now I get it. Okay, thank you. That's what I would assume. I'm, I'm much more comforted now. Thank you. <laughs> okay, you're welcome. <laughs> no. <laughs> you had me scared there for a minute. I had to think. So I doubt anyone's going to be able to confirm this quote, but I, I swear I had this very vivid memory of reading a magazine around 1985, an article from from about Steeltown, and, and Stewart said, the music on Steeltown came the closest to capturing the music in his head uh, so far of anything that, that they had done. And I swear I remember reading that comment, and I've, I, I've always thought that was such a great comment, and I always tried to go back to it, and I can never find it. So I'm starting to question my own sanity and my own recollection, but I have this longstanding memory of reading that line, and uh, 
if anyone ever finds that line, I would really appreciate it. If you could tell me where you got it from. I used to love to go to these these bookstores as a, as a young person and just read like guitar magazines and rock magazines. And I would just sit there for hours reading them. And I remember very distinctly reading that quote. And I thought that was a perfect way to sum up the album because that's how it kind of always felt to me. But Well, partly why that would make sense, I think, is, you know, I think they, they were at a really tired period from having done so much touring on the crossing and I think they really poured their souls into it and I think it must have really tired them out because if you look at their touring schedule they only had a fairly short tour and then they took all of 1985 off yeah so I think it sort of makes sense that they really poured everything they had into that album were kind of exhausted by the time they were done exactly I have one more question if it's okay just a quick one it's going back to the sound of the album um the this spoken before about um how it was the first album to be uh, recorded digitally. Oh, yes, and, uh, yes. There was lots of flaws in it, lots of pops and clicks, and, uh, and I think there was even one comment, I think, from Tony, he mentioned in one of the songs that it sounds like someone taking the bins out in the background. <laughs> um, can anyone hear any of that stuff, or is it, is it just me that can't hear any of that? I, I, don't, I can listen to the album any I, number of times and can't hear any of that. Kenny, I'm the same as you. I have never, if they're there, they have never jumped out at me as being noticeable. Um, after seeing a lot of those comments, I, I've gone back and purposefully listened to see if I can hear the clicks. And there might have been a couple occasions where I could maybe think that might have been one. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, like you, I've never yeah, really the, noticed the, it. They did spend a lot of time removing these clicks. They did. So they would not be in the finished product. But uh, I saw a comment. I, I can't remember who said it, but uh, they actually spent a lot of time cutting out those clicks. Yeah. So a lot of those so, uh, comments. That was more a frustration they had while while making it. Yeah. Exactly. I think I think a lot of those comments could have been relating to the way it was before we got the final version, because as Fine said, they they spent a lot of time trying to get those out. I do remember them saying though that they couldn't get yeah. all of them. So there might still be some in there, but. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember which uh, which song it's in, but I, I've always been interested to hear the part of it. It uh, sounds like the bin's been taken out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, well... Um, Are we going to talk about all the sex that's on the album? You just, you just, what you just said right there is going to be the intro to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that could not have been, that could not have been better. That's perfect. That's what we need to get the ratings up. Yeah, well, you know, give, give your listeners what they want, right? <laughs> Steel Town is full of sexual innuendo. Yes, no. well, no. Swine can tell us about that. Yeah, I know, right? We'll, we'll save it for the deep dive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I think you should not use deep dive in sex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> CJ's coming to life. I'm finally drunk. No, <laughs> no I think the podcast is winding itself down. Yeah. <laughs> just as you said. The, the, oh. one thing I, the one thing we didn't touch on was the album art and the album cover, just because as... as you know, this week looking around on the internet to see anything about the art, I saw a couple of lists where Steeltown made the list of worst album covers of all time. Are you which serious? Just, yeah, which blows my mind because I've had a framed copy, you know, hanging as art <laughs> for 30 years. And so it just shows how um, how people's tastes are different. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense to try to convert some folks if their minds are already made up. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that's insane. I mean, we, we, we talked to Julian Baum on the show who talked about the design of Steeltown and that's one thing that really hit me with this deluxe edition, just looking at the artwork again so closely, and it's it's just a beautiful piece of work, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I think yeah, so. They, at the show last night, they had a, a good uh, backdrop. Um, they had the Big Country logo and, and some of the uh, designs from the album cover. And then across behind uh, Mark, it had uh, the, the Heat song um, written. And then at each side of Mark, they had a, a huge um, cutout of the, you know, the guy with the, the guy wearing the the steel workers gear and the, he has the, the huge hammer. Yeah. No, we we're with you. We're with you, Kenny. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so, yeah, it was it was an impressive. You know, the the last uh, few years have not uh, have not had anything as, as impressive as that. So um, it, was, it was good to see. CJ. Yes. <laughs> I was just about to say, check out the shoulders on that guy. <laughs> the impressive hammer on that guy. Yeah. Now that's <laughs> Christine. Whatever you're drinking, I'll have some. <laughs> no, that's great. I always thought that would make like the perfect backdrop for the band when they're playing. So it's it's very good to see to hear that they've got that artwork going they in the also, background. Uh, Bruce and Derek um, also wore uh, boiler suits on stage. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> I saw him in a onesie. No, no kilt for Derek. No, uh, Bruce. Bruce mentioned that. Um, they said something along the lines of, uh, you know, Mr. Forbes, not not in his national dress and turns up in a fucking boiler suit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, to to get to talk a little bit more about the the show, the most more recent show, and to kind of wrap this up here, um, you know, it's great to see that Steel Town can still have such a powerful force in the present. It's you know, we we talked to um, I, I've tried to get Tony. To come on the show and I'm I still may try we will see what happens but um, one thing that he said in his incredibly polite decline of, the, of doing it was that he he felt like the sh- he, he, he kind of felt like everything was in the past for him and he said it was difficult for him to even write the liner notes or be a part of the liner notes for the new steel town thing and he kind of wanted to leave it in the past and he kind of felt like it was in the past and when I replied to him I, I said you know, I totally understand. I can't. I can't put myself in the perspective of someone who's actually made this music. I'm. A, I'm just a fan of it. But I wanted to get across to him that even though it's in his past, it's something that's still very, very much in our present. And it's an album and a and a piece of art that, to me, even though I've lived with it for 30 years, I still find new things about it. And when I listen to it in headphones, especially, and as fine, very well stated hearing the new rough mixes really was like a gift to me. I mean, hearing where the rose is sown again and being able to feel kind of the way I felt when I heard that for the first time as a teenager, but with this rough mix, I mean, that's really had that rough mix hit me. I remember, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit I had tears in my eyes driving to work in the morning, listening to this song at absolutely full volume. And it was like, I was hearing it for the first time. And it's just an amazing testament to this music that, and I hope the band will think of it that way. I mean, I, I can't presume to think about, about how they think of things that they created because they obviously have a completely different perspective on it. But for them to, to I hope that they will know, and I'm sure the current band does, the effect that the album still has on us. And of course, all big country music has this effect on us still, not just Steel Town, but since we're talking about Steel Town now. So... I'm just curious as we wrap the show up, 
you know, what you guys think about how the album still sits with you and, and does it does it mean something that's more than just nostalgia to you at this point? I mean, uh, there are a lot of albums that I can look to from my past that meant something to me that to me are more nostalgia trips when I listen to them, but Steel Town is not one of them. So I'm curious what you guys think about this album 30 years later, what the place that it still holds in your life. Whoever wants yeah, to I'm just, I, I, I'm, I'm just thinking a few times driving to work and coming there in all tears. I wiped them I, off I before honest, I got out of the car. Yeah, good on you. No, I can't, I can't honestly say that the album had that effect on me, but, um, yeah, then again, I haven't listened to it full blast in a car by myself and, and taking it in probably like you, you can in that context. But It's my time of the month, um, what can I say? Yeah, well, it, like it is every time we speak. But uh, it's uh, it, it, it's definitely an album of the present. I think you said it well to Tony, and it, uh, it rings true for me. It's, uh, it's not a nostalgic thing. No Big Country item is a nostalgic thing. You go in waves with Big Country like you do every other artist. Sometimes you listen to them for a month, and then you can have a break for a period of months, and then you can dig them out again. So it goes up and down. But Steel Town is always there. It's always there. It's uh, it's one I can pull out and listen to, and uh, not just the album itself, but the music made around that time, and uh, like probably more so for some other regions where they have like 40, 50 B sides and, and covers. We we unfortunately don't have that with Steel Town. So that's more about the album and the the five six songs we have. We have a couple more now with the deluxe edition, but this is definitely one that I pull out and still listen to, and still discover new things which is the amazing thing. Still discover new things. Yep. Kenny, I, th- I saw you were trying to jump in there too earlier. So what, what yeah, is it? For, for me, it's still, you know, it's not a nostalgia either. It still means something to me. And uh, the one song that I keep coming back to is, is just a shadow. Um, mm. every, every time I listen to the, the lyrics on that, I, you know, I, I think of something new. Um, I, th- I could write a book on that one. So, you know, the, the amount of, uh, different meanings you could you could put to it and I've heard some uh, people talk about it in the past just about what the song means and, and someone can pick up a completely different meaning from someone else and uh, as, as I listen to it I find myself you know thinking different things every time I hear it and uh, I, I like to go back to the whole album but in particular that song I, I don't think I'll, I'll ever tire of hearing that song or, or thinking about it thinking about what it means um, so not not nostalgia. It still still means a lot to me, and I think it's aged probably better than any of their albums, in, in my opinion. Mm, fantastic. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, Big Country were never fashionable, really, and so they didn't fall out of fashion. And even though the music is of its time, it doesn't really sound dated to me. This was actually the album that got me back into Big Country after after December two thousand one. I kind of um, put big country aside for a couple of years i just wasn't able to listen to them anymore and this was the album that got me back into them and it still sounds as fresh to me as it did in 84 it's really not nostalgia and i think the fact that it's still being played live even if it's you know by bc 2.0 shows that it's it's um it's still alive definitely yeah it sounds as current to me as it did the first time i heard it and any time that i drop that needle uh, at the top of this album and I hear that bass line and this is your cue right to play the bass line mm-hmm. 
it is such a bold way to yeah. start an album. Yeah. You know? And so every time I, I, you know, I start it, I get that same feeling of excitement the first time I heard it. Mm. Same, same here. It's one of the most incredible bass lines of all time. Yes. So what a way to kick off the album. And that's really what ropes you in when you listen to it immediately is there and it grabs you. And that takes me back to my first two minutes hearing the first half <laughs> of Flame of the West in the record store and then being cut off dramatically. And that was uh, that was pretty brutal. Well, let's face it. I mean, Tony, I mean, everybody is incredible on this album, but but Tony really might be considered. Uh, he certainly could be argued that he is one of the most um noticeable presences on this album with that bass because it's it's just a vicious almost distorted at times bass he doubles his bass he triples his bass at times he's got harmonizing bass happening even on the song we're talking about um i even i even remember him saying in a, a past country club that he thought his bass on the great or actually on girl with gray eyes i think was uh, one of his favorite bass tracks ever and then we've got um bass dance which is that b-side which is incredible which by the way let's point out another big mistake um on the switch the orders well no on this deluxe edition both bass dance and the bass concerto are credited to Stuart adamson now i am i am pretty positive that tony (laughs) butler wrote that and um i can't believe that both of those tracks on the liner notes um credited solely to Stuart adamson Stuart adamson was fantastic but i don't think he would have written bass dance yeah, you know, when you guys do your deep dive on the next episodes, I hope you do get a chance to, to talk some more about Tony's playing. There's a couple of really interesting things there. Tony's playing bass almost as if he's just a third guitar. Yes. And, he, yeah. and, and, yeah. and he's playing counter melodies throughout. They're not typical bass lines in a lot of places. They yes. really are just a counter melody, which was really yeah. amazing. I th- Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it was interesting that earlier you were talking about the guitars. And for me, this album has always been such a tremendous showcase of Tony's immense talent and in on every single song, um, you know. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's just incredible. And it's the band at their top peak. I mean, they've said that they were tired. They've said that they were a bit burnt out, but you would never know it, in my opinion, from from hearing this album. It's, it's just, uh, it's amazing. So. And you can't leave out Mark's drumming. It's phenomenal. No. Though. Oh, right. gosh. And it, it Mark's drumming, I was going to say, this is one of the benefits of some of the rough cuts, is that it's... Um, you know you get to hear it in a completely different light and and it sits so much higher in the mix and this is one of the things that a lot of people said they liked about the journey was how high mark's Mm -hmm. drums sat in the mix and you get some of that in the rough cuts well well, because what mark's doing is you can tell he's playing the drums as if they're a musical instrument and not just providing rhythm right yes and that seems to be what every single musician is doing on this album and that's that's what makes it so amazing to me i've never heard anything like it i've never heard an album like this even from big country it's just clearly they decided after this that they had done what they wanted to do from this perspective and they pulled back on the seer and they kept kind of pulling back from that point on i mean we would never get this kind of density in music ever again from the band um and it's it's just it stands out and it stands alone it's it's something incredible and as a guitar player for a number of years who can pretty much figure out most guitar parts steel town continues to give me fits trying to figure things out part is not being a part of it is not being able to isolate certain things but there are there are things that 
like for example the opening to steel town i just could never quite figure that out when i i actually when i met those guys bruce and jamie i asked them please show me how you play this and i filmed their hands playing it and it's just there's so many amazing parts and to me like i've said it's like music from another music very much from this world but at the same time it's it's got an otherworldly type of feel to it and it's it doesn't have a it's not locked or chained to any time period it's it's still incredibly of its own space in the time space continuum as arlen is probably the most well versed among all of us <laughs> to talk about uh well look uh, guys I can't thank you enough for being a part of this. I mean, we to those of you those of you listening, you will not notice this because of the incredible editing job that I will do on the show. But <laughs> we had so many difficulties getting this thing going in the beginning: um, microphone problems, Skype problems, uh, typical Svine problems. But we sorted them all out, except for the Svine problem. Um, but we we were able to go despite all of that, and I think we really had a great conversation here. I mean. Uh, do you guys feel good about it? I think it was it was really fun. Well, for the record, I have to say that the technical problems only started when you tried to join in, Tom. Swine, <laughs> when Swine was Swine was initiating the calls, it all worked just fine. But honestly, this has really been fun. You know, one of the most fun things about the Great Divide and the Facebook page and the rest is, you know, it's so hard to find other people who still remember Big Country and who still want to talk actively about Big Country. So this almost has the feeling of like the message board in the 90s. You know, it's uh, one yeah. of the most fun things. So thanks for doing this, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you to everyone for listening to The Great Divide, episode 37. Savannah and I will be back for episode 38. Something else, again, related to Steel Town, whether it's, a, whether it's an interview or whether it's the beginning of our dissection of the album, we shall see. We haven't figured that out yet, but we'll be back next time. So in the meantime, you can check us out on Facebook, The Great Divide Podcast. Just search for that. You'll find us. Email us at bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com. And we will be still taking your speak pipe submissions, too, for a little while longer. So if you've got anything to say you want to add about Steel Town, feel free to send us a speak pipe within the next couple weeks or so. Get that in if, if you can. So we will be talking to you soon. Thanks to Arlen, CJ, Kenny, and see you next time. Cheerio. You, you, you might want to re-record that part uh, uh, on your free time because you did a real Pete Brady thing when you said Steel Town. I know, I heard I heard my voice Steel change. Town. Yeah. I, I don't when it's time to change. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll leave it. It cool. makes it makes me feel young again. It humanizes <laughs> you, Tom. It humanizes you. Thank you, thank you. Well you know we were talking about me hitting puberty when this album was coming out, so it's, it's all full circle now. I want Steel Town please. <laughs>